There was a man called John the Baptist, who was actually the cousin of Jesus, who lived in the wilderness, telling people to turn away from their own ways and live in God's ways. John's clothes were made from camel's hair, and he ate locusts and wild honey. People from all over the area came to hear John speak. He would often baptize those who decided to follow God, dunking them in a lake as a symbol of their choice. One day, Jesus came to John and asked him to be baptized. John said, I'm the one who needs to be baptized by you. But Jesus convinced him to baptize him. When he did, he saw the sky split open and the Spirit of God flew down like a dove and landed on Jesus. Then he heard a voice from heaven say, this is my son whom I love. After Jesus' baptism, John the Baptist told all who came to hear him that Jesus was God's chosen one, the Messiah. Then Jesus went out into the wilderness and withheld from eating or drinking for 40 days. There, the devil showed up and put Jesus through a series of tests. Despite the devil's efforts to get Jesus to stop trusting God, Jesus refused the temptations and the devil left. When Jesus returned from the wilderness, he selected 12 men to join him to minister throughout the area. These men, who were called disciples, became his closest group of followers. One day, when Jesus and his followers were attending a wedding feast, they ran out of wine. Jesus asked the servants to fill six large stone jars with water. When they did, the water miraculously turned into wine. This was just the first of many miracles that Jesus performed, showing his power and causing many to follow him. Jesus continued to travel across the area meeting with everyone from powerful religious teachers to the ordinary folks, telling them how they could live God's way and be saved from their sins. And the miracles continued. Jesus healed people with all kinds of illnesses and even helped a paralyzed man walk again. He spoke about a new kingdom that was very different from anything people had heard before. Many people were amazed but some of the religious leaders were angry and fearful as his following grew. A 31-week series in which we are going through Genesis, the very first book in the Bible, all the way through the book of Revelation. And what you are seeing is the consistency of the message of God. What you are seeing is the consistency of the nature of God. And so the God that we meet in Genesis is the same God we meet in the New Testament, is the same God that we meet today. He never changes. And that brings comfort to us. For what I learn is true about God in the Bible, I know is true about God today and will be true about God tomorrow. And friends, that is comfort and that brings strength to our lives. This morning, last week actually, we began looking at the New Testament in our journey. Pastor Lon did an amazing job showing us uh, through Scripture the lessons to be learned through the birth of our Lord and Savior. This morning we're going to see that the ministry of Jesus begins. And what I want you to remember is what we see in Jesus 2,000 years ago is, continues to be true about Jesus today and will be equally true about Jesus tomorrow. 
So friends, the ministry of Jesus begins, begins with his baptism. Now, we meet John the Baptist. John is kind of an interesting guy. He's the cousin of Jesus, and as you saw there, he was, he was a man who denied himself the things that the world values and the things that the world longs for. He, he denied himself the things that would make him comfortable in this world. His ministry was a ministry of baptism, but more than that, it was a ministry of preparing people for the coming of the Messiah, preparing people for the coming of Jesus. And there's three things that I want you to see here. As you see on the screen, here's the first one, that we learn about Jesus from the ministry of John. Here's the first thing that we see. John the Baptist, his call was to prepare the hearts of the people to receive the ministry of Jesus. Now, how did he do that? By helping them to see their need for salvation, their need for a Messiah. And he did that through baptism. We read here in Luke chapter 3, verses um, 3 and 4. Speaking of John, he went into all the country around the Jordan, the Jordan River, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Repentance means I recognize that there's something that's displeasing to God in my life, and so I don't just feel bad about it, I turn around and I choose to live in a new way. So a baptism of repentance for the, the forgiveness of sins. And as, as it is written in the uh, book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, here's a quote from Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness. And here's the, what the voice says, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. This is John the Baptist that Isaiah was speaking about. So why was baptism important? What was he doing? Well, baptism wasn't completely new to the people. They, had, they understood that before they went to meet with God, they would cleanse themselves. They would wash themselves, what we would call as part of their worship. There was a cleansing that went on physically before they would come into the presence of God. They were making themselves right with God from the outward. But baptism was also common for people who were not Jews, who wanted to embrace Judaism as their religion. And so they would be baptized as non-Jews, as Gentiles, into Judaism. So what was that baptism about? It was about as they were dunked into the water, it was a reminder that they needed to be cleansed by God, to be made right with God, and then they would rise again, having been cleansed by God, and now were part of the Jewish family. Here's what John did. John said to the people of Israel, you need to be baptized. He was saying to them, you need to get right with God. You are not right with God. Now, the religious elite did not want to hear that. He was telling them they were not right with God. He was telling the common people they were not right with God. So how did that prepare the way for the coming of Jesus? Friends, we don't come to Jesus 
until we recognize that we have a need to be made right with God. We will not come to Jesus until we understand that we have not lived the life that he has called us to live. Tim took us through a prayer this morning in worship, a prayer of confessing our sins. What are we doing? We are confessing our need for the blood of Christ to cover our sins, to make us right with God. The water baptism was the sign that something deeper was necessary. Now, friends, here's the question. Do you see your need for a Savior? The religious leaders of the day, by and large, hated John the Baptist. Now, some were baptized. And as they hated John the Baptist, they hated Jesus. Why? Because they did not see a need for a Savior. They saw themselves as relatively better than the other people. I'm relatively better. I don't need a savior. Some saw themselves as children of Abraham. I am a child of Abraham. I don't need a savior. I follow the commands of God. I don't need a savior. And friends, I would say in every church today that gathers, there are people who believe that they do not need a savior. They would not have allowed themselves to be baptized by John the Baptist because they did not have a need to be made right with God. Here's what I know, friends, and it began when I was a teenager. When I came to understand that I had, was not living the life that God called me to live. Now, if you had looked at my life, I was a good boy. In fact, between you and me, I was the best of my three brothers. I, don't say, I think Chris is out of town today. My brother is, yeah, he's not here today. Okay, this is just between you and me, all right? But I was a good person. I did good things. I was nice and kind. I did my homework. I obeyed my parents. I was a good boy. I was a little quirky, but I was a good boy. But God showed me my need. God showed me that I needed a Savior. That I fell short of the glory of God. I needed to be made right with God. And so John the Baptist was that voice calling out and letting the people know there's something wrong. You need to be made right with God. Friends, every day of my life, I understand who I am. I am a man in need of a Savior who has met the Savior, who has died for me so that my sins, past, present, and future, are covered by his blood. I have received his grace. The only way to be made right with God is through faith in Jesus Christ, the Savior that God sent into the world to die for us, as we'll see in just a moment. Here's a second thing that I want you to see. John pointed people, not to himself, he pointed people to Jesus as the answer to that need that he had, had let people know that they have. You have a need and you're baptized with water, but one is coming, one is coming who will baptize by the Holy Spirit. Now what does that mean? 
It means that God, when we come to faith in Jesus, gives us the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit comes. And we're going to do a whole series later this year and, and how the Holy Spirit ministers to us. And one of the ways that he does that is by reminding us that we are washed clean by the blood of Jesus. We are forgiven completely by the blood of Jesus. Listen to what we read in John 1.29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him, and he proclaimed, Look, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. See, John recognized that he could clean people on the outside. He could help them to identify that they had a need for the forgiveness of sin. But he could not do that. Baptism cannot make us clean. Only the blood of Jesus Christ can make us clean. And that's why we celebrate communion as we did last week. As a reminder that God cleanses us from the inside. Listen to what he says. Look, the Lamb of God. Now what did a lamb represent for the people? It represented a sacrifice. They would sacrifice lambs to God. The lamb would be killed, the blood spilled to, to provide for the sins of the people, to make them right with God. But no longer, but those animals, they were necessary at that point. But when Jesus came, he was the perfect lamb of God. He was the perfect sacrifice of God. He was the lamb that was sacrificed on our behalf. An animal sacrifice could only do so much because an animal is not a human being. And so Jesus came, fully God, fully human, to lay down his life for you and for me. Behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But the question is, have you opened your heart to him? Do you recognize your need for a savior? Have you opened your heart to him and said, Jesus, you are not just the lamb of the world. You are my lamb. You are the lamb who has died for me. Friends, salvation only comes when we respond to God's solution to the problem of our sin. And then the third thing that we learn from John the Baptist is this, Jesus was baptized to identify with our humanity. Jesus was without sin. So why would he be baptized? He didn't need to be made right with God. He was God in human flesh. Well, listen to what we read here in Matthew 3, 12 to 15. And Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by Jesus. I'm baptized by Jesus. Baptized by John. He did not baptize himself. But John tried to deter him. He tried to discourage him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. John says, Jesus, I need you to baptize me. And yet you come to me? And Jesus said this, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented and he baptized Jesus. And it was the beginning of the ministry of Jesus. So why did Jesus allow himself to be baptized? In obedience to his Father in heaven. 
You see, his father was calling, had called him to be baptized, to identify fully with humanity, to identify fully with you and with me. And then the Spirit came upon him, and he was driven out into the wilderness. Friends, I want you to see this. Lessons in the wilderness. We've been talking about Lent the last couple of weeks, the 40 days before Jesus, um, before Jesus would be um, out in the wilderness in the 40 days of identifying with the sacrifice of Jesus. And it, it, is, it, it comes from the story of Jesus in the wilderness. For 40 days, he went without food. For 40 days, he lived alone in the wilderness. For 40 days, he sacrificed the things, the comforts of the world in order to, in order to prepare his heart for this ministry that God had called him to. And for those 40 days, he was tempted. Now we get a picture of three of those temptations that Satan brings to him. But what we see, is the Bible says, is that for those 40 days, he was tempted. He was tempted to sin. For if Jesus would just sin one time, if he would just give into temptation just one time, then he could not stand on the cross, be laid on the cross for you and for me. For he would not be the perfect lamb of God. He would not be the, the lamb of God that was without blemish. He would not be the perfect lamb of God. For he would be sinful as we are sinful. And so Satan was doing everything that he could to deter the plan of God by getting Jesus in his humanity to sin. And so we see here, when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love and with you I am well pleased. This incredible moment and then the Holy Spirit immediately leads Jesus out for 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness. Without food, without comfort. And he goes alone into the wilderness. And there, he says no to the temptations that Satan brings to him. Now, friends, temptations, I have found, biblically and in my own life and in the lives of others, tends to come at, uh, particularly hard in two moments. Number one, after a great victory. When things just look great and we are on top of the world, everything seems to be going our way. It's those moments I have found in my life and biblically that we are often most susceptible to giving in to temptation. A second time is when, as we saw with King David, is when we are bored. When we are just, the days are long, there's, there's really no highs, no lows, it's just the day, a normal day, and we start getting bored. And we begin to compromise God's plan for our lives because we are susceptible to temptation. I want to encourage you to remember that when you go through a great time of victory or when you go through a time that is discouraging and difficult or a time that is just boring, 
know that you are susceptible to compromising God's best for you. Now, why is that important? Well, we'll go to the second point. Remember that God's place of temptation may be the place that God is going to do a great work in your life. Who was it that took Jesus into the wilderness? It was the Holy Spirit. Now, God knew that Jesus would be tempted out in the, out in the desert, out in the wilderness. He knew what Jesus would be facing, and yet the Spirit led Jesus into that very place of temptation. Temptation is not sin. Being tempted is not sin. Jesus was tempted, the Bible says, in every way that we are, yet was without sin. So it's not the temptation that is sinful. It is the giving into the temptation that is sinful. Every one of us, just like Jesus, is tempted. Is tempted to do that which we know God does not want us to do. Or tempted not to do that which we know God wants us to do. We are tempted in so many different areas of our lives. Now what is it that can happen when we withstand temptation? It makes us spiritually stronger. And it prepares us for the things that we will face. Jesus, Jesus stands against temptation. And every time Jesus says no, it's like he is building a wall around his life that is stronger, protecting him from the future. Now, what's going to happen in the future? He's going to face all sorts of temptations. He's going to face the temptations of the crowd to please the crowd. He's going to face the temptation of justifying and defending himself. He's going to face the temptation of not going to the cross. There's so many temptations that he will face. And it's in those moments that we say no, that spiritually you and I are strengthened. When I work out a muscle, what happens to that muscle? It grows, as you've seen. It gets bigger. And it gets bigger. It gets bigger. And it just grows. And in the same way, when I say no to temptation, I get stronger spiritually, and I'm building that wall around myself. I'll say more about that in just a moment. But here's the third thing I want you to see. Temptations come at the places where we are most vulnerable. The devil said to him, remember, he had not eaten. He had not eaten for 40 days and 40 nights. He says to Jesus, if you are the Son of God, Tell this stone to become bread. Satisfy yourself. Fill yourself. You know those hunger pangs you're feeling in your stomach? Take care of that. Take care of that. Satisfy that right now. Isn't that what temptation is? Satisfy yourself. Live for yourself. Do what you want to do. You only live once, grab all the gusto you can, or Nike, just do it, just do it. But what we don't understand is the price that we pay, and the price the people around us pay when we don't say no to temptation. Now there are two, actually there are two things going on here, two temptations. You say you're the son of God, prove it. 
It's pride. It's appealing to, trying to appeal to the pride of the humanity of Jesus. You claim that you are the Son of God, you are the Messiah? Prove it. Tell the, show me your power. Tell this stone to become bread and then satisfy yourself. Friends, everybody in this room and everybody online, all of us, face temptation. And they come in many different shapes, many different sizes. They look, they look different for all of us. It might be a sexual area for you. It might be an issue of integrity and honesty for you. It might be an issue of pride for you, living for yourself and not living for the kingdom of God, serving yourself and not serving God and serving others. What is that temptation? It may be to hoard the things that God has provided. I want to make sure I have enough money for me, so I'm going to always make sure I take care of myself. What is that area that you face? Now, how does Jesus respond to the temptations? I'm just going to quickly share this because to me it is absolutely profound. When tempted, what did Jesus do? Well, number one, first thing he did was to quote the Bible. He quoted the Old Testament. He quoted Scripture. What did he say to, to uh, Satan in that moment? He said, it is written. That's the Bible. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone. What is he saying? He's saying, that loaf of bread may satisfy that physical hunger, but what it will do spiritually is not worth it. I am here to serve my Father in heaven. I am not going to live by bread alone. I'm going to live according to to the plan and the purpose that the Father has sent me to live. Friends, what I have learned to do in my life is to find scripture that speak to those very areas where I am most tempted. And I remind myself in the face of temptation, and sometimes I'll say that, that verse out loud, and I'll repeat that verse, because there is power in the Word of God. And I want to use the Word of God as Jesus did to stand against temptation. A second thing we see in the story of the temptation of Jesus in, in standing against temptation is the commitment to live in community with God. Jesus answered a second temptation with these words, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. A quote from the Old Testament, but it's a single-minded commitment. I am going to serve the Lord first and foremost in my life. I want to ask you this morning, have you settled that question in your heart? Have you settled the question in your life, who is it that I serve? Is it me? Is it a friend? Is it a spouse? Who is it that I serve? Is it the expectations of the people that I work for? Who is it that I serve? Jesus said, I serve the Lord and the Lord alone. I serve God and God alone. And when that is your single-minded commitment, then all of life will flow naturally from there. That is a second way that we stand firm against temptation. And then finally, third, identifying the source of temptation and casting him away. 
Finally, in the third temptation, Jesus said to him in, John, in Matthew 4, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And the de devil le left him, and the angels of God came, and they tended to Jesus. Isn't that amazing? I am so blessed by that picture. Because friends like you, I face temptation every day. There are things I know that God doesn't want me to do that I do, or things that I don't do I know that he wants me to do for uh, lots of reasons. But and I, and I go through that process of, of saying scripture out loud often, reminding myself of the commitment I made to follow God as the first love of my life. And the third thing I do is I say, Satan, away from me, you have no power over me, for I belong to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And in his name, I tell you to leave. Here's a third thing I want you to see this morning. In the ministry of Jesus, what we see is ministry is always about people. It's not about buildings. It's not about property. It's not about church services. It's not about all of these things that are important. But it's about people. It's about God using us to transform the lives of people. And through transforming the lives of people one life at a time, the church is transformed, the community is transformed, and the world is transformed. Ministry is always about people. And so let me just take a moment here and, and share with you three groups of people that we see Jesus ministering to. First are those disciples, those who call themselves disciples of Jesus, followers of Jesus. That's you, most of us here this morning. We are followers of Jesus. And so listen to what Jesus says when he calls them. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, they're fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. Or as many, many translations say, and I will make you fishers of men. And then it says that once they left their nets, they left their life. They left everything they knew, and they followed Jesus. Friends, I want you to think about this as a disciple of Jesus this morning. Jesus said, follow me, and I will make you. Before they could... Before he sent them, he spent three years preparing them. And then when he sent them, he sent his spirit to empower them. Jesus says to you and me, who are followers of Jesus, he says to you this morning, follow me and I will make you. Friends, if you don't say yes to doing the things that God is calling you to do because you're you're intimidated, or you don't feel like you can do it. You don't believe you can do it. You are saying more about what you believe about God than what you believe about yourself because you are saying that God can't, cannot create that in you and through you. What has God done? How has he, as you have followed him, what has he done to make you? Jesus said to me many years ago, he said, follow me, and I will make you a pastor. I almost said no to that call. Because 
I saw my life, and I didn't see that I could stand before people and proclaim his truth. I didn't see in me what he saw in me. I'm sure that Peter and Andrew, if they knew all that Jesus was going to call them to, they would have said that day, I can't do that. I can't do that. I can't be that person. But Jesus, what did he say to them? Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. I will send you as I have prepared you to be fishers of men. What does that mean? To share the good news of Jesus and to be a witness to Jesus. I want to ask you this morning, friends. I want to ask you this question. If you have said, yes, I will follow you, Jesus, where are you saying no to him? The reason I almost said no is because I didn't think I could do it. And you know what? I'm right. I can't do it. Apart from Jesus stirring in me and creating me and moving me and transforming me and empowering me, I can't do what he's asked me to do. And neither can you. He doesn't want us to do it apart from him. And so, as a disciple of Jesus, I say yes, and I let him transform me. I spend time in his word. I spend time with his people. I spend time obeying him and standing against temptation. And before I know it, I look back and I see, wow, God not only called me, but he made me. He made me an instrument to change the world. He made me an instrument to change my family. He made me an instrument to change my neighborhood, my school, my workplace. God didn't call you just to live in heaven. God called you to be an instrument in this world. I will make you follow me and I will make you fishers of men. God has a plan and a purpose and a design. And he, if you will say yes to him, I will follow you. He wants to make you into something you never dreamed you could be because only God can see it in you and only God can call it out of you. Friends, I am living proof of that. I often say I think God called me to be a pastor because people look at me and say, oh, he can do that. Anybody can. God is the one who makes us. He calls us. He empowers us. He makes us. All we have to do is choose to be his disciple and choose to follow him. There's a second group, and I'll go quickly here, a second group of people. And that's the, what you and I would call the successful. The religious elite in that day, they were the successful. Here was a man named Nicodemus who was part of the religious elite, which meant he was significant, which meant he was powerful, which meant he was influential, which meant he was probably wealthy. He was a person of means, of significance. He was the one that the average people like you and me would look up at and say, wow, that I could be Nicodemus. Nicodemus comes to Jesus one night. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us why. I, I've always assumed it's because he didn't want the other religious leaders knowing that he was hanging out with Jesus because a lot of those religious leaders hated Jesus. And so what does he do? He comes to Jesus at night, and Jesus, this great successful person, he says to him, you are lacking in your life. You are missing it. You are missing it. He said, you need to be born again. 
Now, what does that mean? It means that just as we were physically born and had physical life, we need to be born again through faith in Jesus Christ to come alive spiritually. You need to be born again, Nicodemus. You need to be born again. And you need to put your faith in me as we see here. here. Whoever, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever Nicodemus believes in me shall not perish but shall have eternal life. You see, friends, the most successful people in our world, the Bill Gates of our world, these wealthy, powerful people, successful athletes, they need Jesus every bit as much as you and I need Jesus. We need Jesus. The most successful in our world need Jesus. But not just the successful. But Jesus didn't just come for the successful. In the very next chapter, we have chapter 3, Nicodemus of John. And in John chapter 4, we have this woman. This woman who was an outcast socially. This woman that had been with many different men. This woman that was not living the life that God had called her to live. This woman who was insignificant in that culture. But she mattered to God. She mattered to Jesus. I don't know where you are in your life today, but I can tell you this. You matter to Jesus. You may feel like nobody cares about you. You may even be thinking, I, maybe I should just take my life. This, this life isn't worth it. I have nothing to live for. I want to tell you right now that God knows, God loves, and God can empower you to become something amazing. And he is waiting God is about people. He loves you. He died on the cross for you. And he is calling you to be his child. He is calling you to follow him. That he might make you into something you never dreamed you could become. Jesus came for people. He died for people. And he died for you and he died for me. The wealthy, the successful, and the very outcast, that very person that's living on the, on the edges of society. He died for them and he loves them every bit as much as he loves me and he loves you. Friends, we are the hands and the feet of Jesus. We are to continue this ministry of Jesus. Come, Jesus said, Follow me, and I will make you. I will make you into something you never dreamed you could be. I will make you into someone who I will use to change your world. Can you imagine if every Christian in the world today said, Jesus, I will follow you. Jesus, here I am. Make me into what you have created me to become. Can you imagine what could happen in this world? He's waiting. He's waiting. Father, as we come this morning, we ask that you would strengthen us. Lord, help us to see what we need to see today. Are we one of those who need to come to Jesus this morning, who have always put our confidence 
in ourselves and in our pride when in reality, Lord, our deepest, most profound need is to come before you this morning and say, Jesus, I need you to be my Savior. And Lord, for the rest of us here this morning, I pray that we would come and we would answer that call to be your disciple this morning. Or we would renew that call this morning. As you say, come and follow me and I will make you. Lord, may we choose to renew that call in our lives today. I choose today to follow Jesus. Make me into that which you have created me to be. For your glory, for your design, for your purposes. Amen. Amen.